every one of us to hear. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, or you can look inside your program. Did everyone get a program so that you can follow along in the Scripture with us? On the front side is the sermon outline. On the back is the full text of what we're going to pay attention to. So if you need a copy of that, put up your hand and an usher will give that to you. We're taking a break from our study through the book of Romans so that we can all be together again um, next week as we continue that. And we come to a passage today that is very tight and actually is pretty intense, intense writing by the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort, for we do not want you to be unaware brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So far the reading of God's Word. When my world is shaking... Has that ever happened to you? Of course it has. The Bible teaches clearly what we sang earlier. There are days when we walk the road and the sun is shining down on us and the world seems as it should be, but there are other days when it is a road marked with suffering and there's pain. And if I've been a pastor for 33 years, if I've learned anything, I have learned in every pew, in every heart that is here, there is a guarantee that they experience suffering. You know, in Isaiah 43, it says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. It doesn't say, if you pass through the waters. It doesn't say, if you go through fiery trials, does it? It says, when you Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. He didn't say, in the world you might have tribulation. 
And so I love the songs that we sang today, honest songs. And when we walk the road marked with suffering, the Christian is different from the non-Christian, according to the Apostle Paul here. Our life is different. And I look around our church, if you heard our prayer, and and there is an extraordinary amount of present-day, current suffering going on. We prayed for Aaron. We prayed for Carrie. We prayed for Mike. Sue Chan's father died suddenly this week. Great loss to her. And I think to myself, what is God teaching us as a church family? We should pay attention. What's going on? So I thought of this passage for this week, and um, I thought to myself, where am I seeing this passage fulfilled? People suffering, and yet, and yet God moving them to a place of hope. And I don't know how many of you have been reading Mike Louie's blog, but our brother Mike Louie, who happens to be an introvert, he says, I'm an introvert, I don't like public speaking, but God has put on his heart that as he goes through this battle against serious cancer, he is going to share what God is doing and what God is teaching in case anyone else might perchance be encouraged. And Mike, he said in his May 27th post, he said, I must admit, writing this post, I'm a bit nervous about exposing my innermost thoughts to a larger audience. But then he notes in one of his blogs that last weekend I attended the funeral of one of my great uncle. And he said it was depressing. His most Chinese funerals are depressing. There's no gospel in it. There's just grief and sense of loss. And so he said, Kathy and I decided to talk about my funeral. Now, Mike's funeral, we are hoping, we are praying, and I, I really do believe uh, that's going to be 50 years down the road. But he said, he wrote down, he said, Kathy and I actually talked about my funeral, and we agreed we want it to be different from my uncle's. He said, my funeral, I want to be a celebration of life. He said, my funeral, I want to be, to have positive, encouraging music. wonder what radio station he listens to. Positive, encouraging music. He said, like Chris Tomlin's song, Amazing Grace, with that chorus, my chains fell off, my heart was free. You see? And he said, lots of pictures. Lots of pictures to celebrate life. And he said, and that was nice at his uncle's funeral that he saw pictures there. Not admitting to defeat, but to remind everyone I'm in a better place when that day comes. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for that. That encourages my soul. That you, as you walk the road marked with suffering, you're encouraging me to look not to myself, but to look to God. And I look around this room, and I know, I see face after face. I know you've had blessing, but I know you've had trials and sorrow, and a tough road many days. But in this church, we're real about that, and the Bible is real about that. And so, so 
This text actually speaks very profoundly to what God is doing with you when you walk that road, and it addresses it by answering three questions. You see them in your program, in the front of your program. The first question is, what is our natural reaction to weaknesses, suffering, and humiliation? Question two, what are God's goals in permitting weakness, suffering, and humiliation? And question three, Where is my confidence in the midst of weakness, suffering, and humiliation? And you see that first verse, and look, I I made a typographical error. It's 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9 there. And what Paul says is that when you are on that road, you feel like you're dying. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And what he's saying is, in those dark moments of our life, it feels like psychologically and often physically, the life is just draining out of you. Do you know what I'm talking about? You just, you just feel the life draining from you, and, and maybe you even feel like you might die. It can even be just psychologically, you are just so burdened, you think, I can't live another day like this. David Paulison says, it's like the sun scorching on your soul, because you see, everyone has heat in their life. There's, there's always heat. It's a question of how we respond to that heat, but there's heat, the sun scorching down on your soul, and you feel powerless. He says, I feel weak. It's a kind of death, and so the natural reaction is despair. It's right there in the text. He says, we despaired. He, he doesn't tell us what it was, and I think that's good. I think it's good that the Bible here doesn't tell us what it was because it's different for every one of you. But the category is the same, right? And for many of you, I know I have wept for you, just in praying for you, thinking about you. And I wish I could take the pain away. And your heart is breaking. But what we learn here in this passage is that God is bringing you through an experience of suffering or humiliation and it becomes a door of opportunity that opens you up to a new knowledge of God and makes you useful to Him in this poor world. And this leads to point number two. See, the question is, what are God's goals in permitting weakness and suffering, humiliation in your life? And what we find in the text is that God has at least two goals that are outlined here. The first one is down in verse 9. The second one is in verse 4. And I want us to look at verse 9 first, where you have a purpose clause. He says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was... The NIV translates it, but this happened to make us rely 
not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And so God has a purpose here, and this first purpose is to change who you rely on. And who does He say we naturally, our default, reboot? Where's the first source of reliance? It's self. I rely on myself. You know why? Because I'm a fixer. I'm a fixer. And I see a problem, I try and fix it because I'm a fixer. It's what I do. I have a problem, I fix it. Am I the only one here like that? I don't think so. And there is this immediate impulse inside of us to trust ourselves. And I trust my own cleverness and my wit and sometimes my charm to get through the problem. Paul said, but this happened, and here's the purpose, so that we would not rely on ourselves. Self-reliance. Now, I know, you see, this runs deep in our culture, right? We don't live on Long Island. Where do we live? We live on Strong Island. How you doing? Never better. Just fine. You see? And, And we want our children We want our children to be able to be resilient in life. That's a good thing because the world is hard. So we teach our children. And and in fact, the Bible does not despise the learning of skills in godly living. The whole book of Proverbs is about learning skills for getting on in life. But I warn you, according to this text, there is something dangerous, dangerous about trusting even your godly skill sets. What is it? It's that you rely on yourself. It's bad for a nation. It's bad for a church. It's bad for an individual. Richard Halverson was the chaplain to the U.S. Senate for many decades, and he wrote an article Uh, called America's Sin of Self-Sufficiency. Did you know that in 1863, Abraham Lincoln declared a proclamation to the entire nation calling for a national day of humiliation, fasting, prayer, and repentance? President Lincoln. And here's what he wrote in the midst of a long proclamation. Lincoln said this. He said, We have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has grown, but we have forgotten God. President of the United States, we have forgotten God. But it's not just a national problem. It's a personal problem. Self-reliance, because I'm a fixer. And there is that verse in the Bible, isn't there? You know the verse, the, the verse that says, God helps those who help themselves. You know that verse? Where is that in the Bible? Hmm? It's nowhere in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. It's in the devil's manual for sabotaging a Christian's life. 
but this happened so that I might not rely on myself. But then the, the goal there is not just to eliminate self-reliance, but to say that we might rely on Him. On who? On God who raises the dead. Is this how you live? On whom do you rely? On Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. It's so interesting, and I gave you the verse, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. Listen, listen to this. This is a verse that makes many of us uncomfortable. But he said to me, that is, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I, for I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with, listen to this list, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How can I be strong when I am weak? And the answer is given to us. I am strong when I am weak because I'm relying on God. And God is the source of power. Is there anything more powerful than God? And so in my weakness, I abandon self-reliance and I rest on Christ. I throw myself on the Lord. Lord, I can only rely on you. Now, my mentor, uh, Jack Miller, he says, you know, in our hearts, we really don't like to think of ourselves as poor and weak. But what matters in the Christian life, he says, is you're coming to, the, to God on the basis of His promises and saying, help, I have nothing. So I invite you, have you gotten to that place where you now, now turn to God and say, help, I have nothing. That's what grace is. That's the heart of grace. You will never receive grace in your life if you come to God and say, here's $20 from me, now would you give me another 100 that will never work. Grace is received when you say, help, I have nothing. And then He gives you everything. He gives you Himself. And Paul says, I'm in deeper than I can handle. And for some of us, it's hard to admit that. But now, if we're not going to rely on ourselves but on God then there is power that comes to us in our weakness, and we endure and we live. Okay, that's the first goal. Do you see that? Have you come to the place where you trust Jesus Christ in your suffering? If you don't, you will just become angry, hopeless, and bitter. But trust Jesus. He's faithful. He's risen from the dead. He's alive from the dead. He sends His Holy Spirit, and in His wisdom, He will providentially lead you through. He will. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not consume you. When you pass through the waters, they will not overcome you. That's the first goal. The second goal is in verse 4, where we read, where the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that, okay, there's another purpose clause there, so that, what? 
so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You see, that first goal teaches us that weakness creates a dependence upon God. Are you with me on that? That's the first goal, that you're going to trust God through this. But then, that weakness expands your capacity to minister to other people. That's what it says. Who better to help the alcoholic than an alcoholic? Does an alcoholic need a preacher to stand and wag his finger at them? Or is an alcoholic helped by someone who says, I have been there, and I've experienced some sobriety, but I tell you, I know what you're going through, and I'll be alongside you through this. You know, not long after Mike Louie had his surgery, and it became clear that he would need massive doses of chemotherapy to continue. I got a phone call. And Suzanne Rant called me, and she said, John, if you would, could you arrange for an evening where we could come with you to visit Mike and Kathy? Suzanne said, I've had stage four breast cancer twice, and Mike has been through cancer twice. And she said, we would just like to be available and come alongside them for an evening and share with them how the Lord Jesus Christ has cared for us through this and to be available and to comfort them at this very difficult time. So you know what? I made the phone call and we set up an evening and we came over to the Louis house and we sat down on the couch and I just sat back. For who was the pastor that night? Who was the minister? It was Mike Rant and Suzanne Rant together, opening their heart, telling their story, saying, we're here for you, whatever you need. Here's what God has done for us. And I tell you, I just sat back, and it was glorious. There was pain in the offering, and yet there was hope. And there was sweet love, the love of God. There in that room, it was palpable. But this happened so that you may comfort others with the comfort with which you have received from God. And it's so beautiful when a Christian can say to another Christian, you know, I've been there. I've, I've been a mess. I made a mess. I'm not proud of it, but I made a mess. And here's the mess I was, but here's how the Lord has helped me through this mess. You know, I... I have read more books than a man should be allowed to read. I have had more education than a man should be allowed to have. But I tell you, you know, when I became a pastor, when I really became a pastor, was over 20 years ago when my father died. Suddenly, unexpectedly, my dad, my dad who was a rock in my life, a man I loved and esteemed, suddenly passed away and was gone. And the grief was something I had never experienced. The grief was so bad, I would be driving the car, and I would be overwhelmed with grief. I'd have to pull over to the side of the road and just sob. It's all I could do. 
And you have had that experience too, haven't you? You just feel overwhelmed. But on that day, something began to change inside of me, and the way I came alongside people was different. Suddenly, I would say, your grief is terrible, and I understand in a way that maybe I never could have before. <laughs> I'm no perfect pastor. Believe me, I will disappoint many people in my ministry. But, but God showed me that day that He would be faithful, He would help us as a family through this, and He did. And I can look anyone in the eye and say, you and your suffering, let's look to the Lord, let's trust in the Lord together. Shall we do that? It's all I have, it's all I can offer you, but let's do that together. And Henry Nouwen says this, he says a very helpful term. His, his term is, you become a wounded healer. I like that. That's what a Christian is. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is a wounded healer, someone who's found grace and strength from the Lord and now comes alongside someone else and blesses them and comforts them and points them to God. The whole idea, you know, the whole idea of support groups and of helping people, I mean, it, it, it comes right out of this passage. People who've been through the trauma of divorce, it helps them when another divorced person says, I've been there, I know what you're going through. Cancer survivors, widows groups, but maybe there's somebody here and you're saying to yourself, well, <laughs> I'm glad that's there for them, but fortunately for me, I don't need support. Well, I gotta, I've got a job for you. We're going to make you the leader of our recovering Pharisees group. That's what we'll do. And we'll put your name in the bulletin and your contact information so that we have support for people going through cancer or divorce, but we'll have a recovering Pharisees group for the Pharisees were the people who thought they just didn't need any grace at all in their life. You can be the, the leader of that group, okay? Let me know if that's you afterwards. I could really use some help on that in this church. God has these two goals for you then. Are you with me on it? That you rely no longer on yourself, but you actually rely on Him who raises the dead. And the third verse that leads right into the, I'm sorry, the third point, the third question. Where is my confidence in the midst of weakness and suffering and humiliation? Because sometimes we don't have confidence when our world is shaking. And that's okay. All right? All right? Pastor, I don't know what I believe anymore. In this church, you're allowed to say that. If it's true, just be real. Someone said that to me, and I said to them, I understand your, your, your faith has been rocked by this. And then I said, you don't believe, but I'm going to believe for you. I said, can I, will you let me do that? Can I at least believe for you? Because I believe God has His hand on you, and God is going to lift you up. And right now, you don't feel it, and you don't see it, and I fully understand that. Let me believe for you. And that man said to me years later, he said, that moment, that moment was so liberating for me 
And I've seen it many times. People rebound. And even as their suffering continues, they rebound and they arise and they trust in the Lord and they minister to other people. I've seen it because their confidence, here's what it says in 1 Corinthians It was, it was 2 Corinthians 1, verse 10. Not good at typing this week. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Why do you have hope in Him? The answer is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the anchor of our faith. Jesus is not dead. He is no longer dead. Oh, Isaiah 53 tells us He was the suffering servant. And do you want to know who understands your suffering? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ understands your suffering. Hebrews 4 tells us He was tempted like you in all things. A man once said to me, he said, Jesus was never married and He never had His wife commit adultery on Him. And I said, oh, that's an easy one. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Did you not read the book of Ezekiel? For Israel is the bride of the Lord. Israel was the wife of the Lord, and she betrayed him. She abandoned him. She went whoring after others. And yet the Lord loved her. But he experienced abandonment. Jesus, on that last night, had all his disciples flee from him. Have you been abandoned or rejected by another that you loved? Jesus was abandoned, alone. It says in Isaiah 53, he was a man of whom others hid their faces from him. And then he was crushed for our iniquities. And the worst suffering of all was the wrath of God justly falling upon Him who became sin for us. His suffering, not just physical suffering, the excruciating spiritual suffering of being made a curse for us. This is Jesus. But, but, on the third day, He rose again from the dead, and He is alive. And on Him, we have set our hope. Have you set your hope on Jesus Christ? He's risen from the dead. And from that comes strength. I read this week an article by Johnny Erickson. Does anybody know who Johnny Erickson is? Johnny Erickson is a woman who was a great athlete as a teenager, and in a diving accident, she broke her neck and became a quadriplegic. For many years, she prayed for healing. She believed and she claimed healings, but she was never healed. But she came to the place, and you can read her books, uh, Johnny and A Step Further. She came to the place of faith and trust in the Lord. And she began to be a painter. She would paint these beautiful paintings with a paintbrush from her mouth. And she could move her mouth, and she painted exquisite paintings. She became a Bible teacher. She now has a daily radio broadcast on hundreds of radio stations teaching about the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And so many, countless people have been helped by her faith in the midst of her struggles because she says, I, on God I've set my hope and you can do it too. Now, she gets a, her people get a call 
from Corey Ten Boom's people. Does anybody know who Corey Ten Boom is? Corey Ten Boom was one of the great Christian ladies of the last century. Her family hid Jewish people from the Nazis, but they were discovered and they were all sent into concentration camps, and her sister Betsy was killed. And yet Corey's faith, in the midst of the suffering in the concentration camp, Corey's faith grew as she learned to depend not on herself, but on God who raises the dead. And afterwards, she became a great evangelist. And she spoke and wrote and ministered to thousands of people in such a beautiful way. At the end of her life, she had a stroke. Corey Ten Boom had a stroke and was paralyzed. And she asked for Johnny Erickson to come to her side. And they put Johnny in her wheelchair into a plane and that she flew. And Johnny Erickson writes of that encounter. And she says, there we sat, two paralyzed people who could not feed ourselves. They were feeding us both thin slices of cucumbers, putting them into our mouths. Two human beings who could not be weaker. And yet, as we looked at each other, we were two people who had never been stronger any day in our lives. For you see, she says, a wheelchair may confine a body that is wasting away, but no wheelchair can confine the soul, the soul that is renewed inwardly day by day. And paralyzed people can walk with the Lord. And every day, she says, I walk with the Lord from my wheelchair. Speechless people can talk to the Almighty. Deaf people can hear the word of the Lord. Blind people can see the glory of God. And Corey, she said, as her mind was in the shadows following her stroke, her mind was the mind of Christ. When I am weak, then I am strong. These two women their strength of the Lord Jesus Christ brimming from every pore of their bodies. Why? Because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. You see, what about, what about the people who are not healed from cancer? What about the people whose marriages are not restored? What about the people whose children are in rebellion and don't come back? What about the road marked with suffering when your world is shaking and you don't experience the end of that shaking here on earth? Hmm? Then you say with Job, though he slay me, Yet, I will trust in Him. And that's been the testimony of many people in this church. Some of you recall when Ed Kaiser stood in this pulpit, and he said, after his diagnosis of cancer, 
he said, you know, for me, it's win-win. If I'm healed, and I hope that I am, because I get to spend more time with my beautiful bride. But he says, if I die, I go home to be with the Lord in the beauty of heaven, and that is mine. You see? Is there ultimate deliverance? And you better believe there is. So Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 4.16, We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Okay, to all you fixers here, all right, all you self-reliant people, will you join me in repentance today? Okay, that's what we're going about to do. And we will become together weak, strong people in the gospel. Like Corey, like Johnny, we will be weak, strong people. Weak in and of ourselves. Help, I got nothing, God. But strong in the grace of the one who is raised from the dead, Jesus Christ. And He will take care of us. He will take care of the ones we love. We commit ourselves to Him and His perfect wisdom. Weak, strong people in the Lord. Not because we have mastered the gospel, but because the gospel has mastered us. Has the gospel mastered you? Yes, it has. Bow your heads with me now. Let's go to Him. Our Father, we come with open hands. Open hands. And I'm the first in line to say, forgive me for my self-reliance. All my imagined cleverness, wit, and charm, and skills, oh Lord. Even my gifts, my strengths, they're gifts from you. I got them from you. We all have strengths. We all have weaknesses. We have to be able to acknowledge them, and so we do. Lord, we are weak. Teach us as we walk the paths of life in the sunshine and in the rain. Teach us to rest, to trust, to rely on you. We thank you for Jesus, that his suffering, the worst suffering ever, was used by you to redeem us. And that we will rise, every one of us, we will rise one day and see you face to face. And how glorious that will be, O Lord. Until that day, help us. Yes, Lord, we want to train our children the skills for godly living. But we want to teach them even more to rely on you, Jesus. You're the lover of our souls. Let us never forget. In your name we pray. Amen. 